Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher in socialist Andy Lipson, and community organizing socialist Kenny Cepeda. Uh, we are online at what-s-left.webnote.com. Uh, you can find the link to our blog in the episode notes, as well as our social media handles uh, at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZepDKE. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications, share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Uh, and jot on our information. Today we will be discussing um, Omicron, right? Uh, the latest on what's been unraveling since uh, it's been declared that a new variant has been unleashed uh, in South Africa. Uh, uh, but before we do that, maybe we can uh, just give some time to Kenny to respond to uh, some of the uh, audience, listeners, um, viewers that have responded uh, um, to the latest, the last episode, and people can find that in the episode notes, uh, to Kenny's decision or verdict on uh, his status. And uh, Kenny, yeah, I'll give you the floor. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you know people who listened to the episode and uh, showed support you know, for my situation and why I made my decisions, uh, or just people in generally who you know take the time to you know maybe have an opinion, you know, because like uh, I think that's important and. Um, yeah, so thank you. Sorry if I haven't responded directly. Uh, I'm, Lipson is grilling me on that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's something new to, to me. But I'll, I'll try to do my best. And, because um, you know, again, we want to create a community to be able to, you know, fight back with the things that are coming and will continue to come as we'll cover in this episode. So thanks to everyone. I also want to let you know that the workers and students for choice meeting you know, there were some people who had heard the episode and really appreciated what you had to say, and it has really helped them. In fact, one of our, you know, our common friends we met in Sac, who we know is that from Sacramento, had had some friends who were really struggling with the recent decision to get the shot, and were really ashamed of themselves for caving. And that person was able to kind of like, look, this, this is you, you didn't cave. This is pressure that's being put on us, you know, kind of thing. So it was very helpful for him to kind of hear your story so he could help them. And again, I'm glad that that was kind of the reason I wanted to do it, you know, because like uh, my story is one story of many and uh, you know, people will do different things. And I think that I appreciated that conversation that we had about our feelings and emotions um, and, you know, thoughts regarding my decision. Uh, because that's how things will play out, right, in the, in the future and complexity, especially as boosters will come around, too. And we might have people that are vaccinated, you know, join the group that I don't want to get a booster. Uh, so we'll have to deal, navigate those, uh, you know, different stages of, of the fight against this stuff. Thank you for sharing your experience and your willingness to be vulnerable, Kenny. Right. Um, so I guess... Um, we might just start off by sharing what we know or just starting off our first initial thoughts of what's happening, no? Yeah, I mean, what I know so far is that um, we have a, a new variant of COVID, right, that was reported by the South African authorities. Um, and it got this uh, uh, ominous sounding name, Omicron. It makes me think of the Transformers, first of all. <laughs> Uh, and so they reported that, and I understand that a lot of countries proceeded to pretty much immediately close the 
borders to the to a lot of South uh, South African uh, countries, you know, nations, uh, flights, um, or restricting the you know to a different degree uh, the ability for people from South Africa to travel. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's a much as I know. I, I also know that there is not really a lot of information as to what the uh, the variant does. Um, and even like some of the authorities who re first reported this in, from South Africa have said that the symptoms are very mild, um, and uh, that the basically they they've blown a lot of the countries that have proceeded to close the borders have overblown this out of proportion. Um, and so obviously that raises questions that we might have to answer here. Yeah, and just to be clear, I know that United States and UK, and they, they led the charge on this, uh, really closed, said we're not traveling there any longer and we're not gonna let people, I think, travel from there. Um, but what, what other country, was it Israel? What, what other countries? Israel was the first one that I know that they proceeded to completely shut uh, people out. Um, uh, there's, I, I read a list that includes Argentina, Brazil, um, and uh, just, uh, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Turkey. They all have some degree of, of restrictions. Um, United Arab Emirates, Spain, um, even Russia, China. Uh, they will proceeded to uh, with some sort of restriction, and it varies from quarantining people to strictly, completely, um, you know, banning people from entering. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, from my vantage point, it, I felt it was really led by the UK and, and United States in terms of the pressure, and and South Africa itself denies that they are while they. They reported the existence of what they're claiming is, an, is this variant. Um, uh, they they deny that they are necessarily the authors of it. They just said we are the first ones to identify it. Um, and in fact, the one of the, the the doctor who had been talking about the mild cases there also was like, "Well, look, um, it's very possible because this thing is not just found. In, this thing has not just been identified in in southern Africa." was located, you know, Botswana was, it was found, but also Netherlands and Israel. I just, today, actually, Wednesday, the first, uh, they um, reported the first case, you know, out of all places, San Francisco in the U.S. Yeah, but other places were United Kingdom, Belgium, Portugal, Denmark, Germany, Austria, Italy, Hong Kong, Australia, Canada, and now we have a case in San Francisco, uh, supposedly. Um, and again, um, you know, this is what's said. I mean, for me, the framework of this is, this is what we are told. What I can say is there was an immense mainstream media onslaught immediately, at least from the Western, Western vantage point. Um, and that was synchronized. Um, and that to me is probably the most, that, that is the most, that is what spread the fastest, which was the, the narrative around this thing. Um, and of course, Joe Biden gave his speech and proceeded to talk about how this just means, yeah, we're gonna put the travel ban up, but we, everyone has to get vaccinated. If you're getting vaccinated for the first time, make sure your children gets vaccinated, get ready for, you know, and if you have already been vaccinated, then you gotta get your booster. And also kind of laid the basis for Pfizer, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson to put out a new booster that supposedly 
they're talking about a booster that's specifically developed for this for this uh, variant. Um, and uh, and then I heard Novavax had already submitted a, a claim for doing this, which is really strange because it almost was like they already knew about it. Um, and um, so it's that's to me what was what, the media onslaught around it was the, for me the most meaningful um, thing. And the government, the swift government action, particularly the U.S. action to put a travel ban up, um, was, I think, interesting. Um, and, you know, I think there's a reason for it. I just wanted to say that the what has been what what's changed now is this has given incentive to say um, publicly that folks that were not in the vulnerable group group to can take a booster shot are now being told they should take a booster shot. So I think this is the change in language that has happened since uh, Omicron has been declared. And I think also uh, the latest on Anthony Fauci uh, being um, deciding that he is science. Uh, he uh, recently just said uh, that uh, any attack on him, um, they're really criticizing, quote, I quote here, they're really criticizing science because I represent science. D to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. So this is becoming, uh, it's not, and that, and, and, and that science is not uh, something that, I mean, I, I think people would be turning in, the, the greatest scientists would be turning in the grave such now. You know, he is an accomplished scientist, yes, but he is not synonymous to science. Uh, so I, I think there's a big distinction. Uh, and, and so I think that there's changes in the way that uh, people are now behaving. It's obvious that there is more of a you do what I say kind of approach because I said so. Um, and this is what we're moving into. Um, now everyone should take the booster. Everyone should take this. Uh, this is uh, beyond mandates to enter spaces. This is now um, a directive about everyone who's unvaccinated who can't enter spaces now also everyone and 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 what is interesting is and in austria they were at first um uh, uh they were doing a lockdown but they weren't doing a lockdown for the vaccinated i think it's changed now but they were doing a lockdown for the unvaccinated they were forcing people they're well pressuring people really to stay home and and i mean the right word is under duress there is no it's it's because how else do you have what else can you do you're not allowed to go anywhere else if you're unvaccinated right uh, and now we're seeing European countries, uh, again, once again, uh, flipping out, which they should, and having more of this uh, 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 uprising than we are doing. We're not doing anything here in the USA. Demonstrators are mainly angry about the use of COVID passes, which stops the unvaccinated from entering venues such as restaurants or bars. Some object to plans to make vaccinations mandatory for health workers. These startling demos happening too in Austria, Croatia and Denmark reflect rumbling frustrations about the evolving COVID restrictions. And just going backtracking a little bit to Fauci and the interview that I heard today, in, you know, regarding the San Francisco case, you know, they made it a whole theatrical production. Um, and uh, even though this person, you know, who is vaccinated, right, got COVID, that's... <laughs> And remember how we were supposed to get vaccinated so that to prevent uh, transmission, right? It, and so the other thing that um, 
they brought up was like that I found interesting is on one hand they don't know enough about uh, Omicron, right? They do kind of concede to that a little bit, but the the other hand they speak with certainty that the existing existing vaccines um, have a spillover effect. That's what uh, Fauci used on today's uh, conference, basically saying you know it's not designed for this necessarily, but like it you know the spillover will be at least better. You know, and I think that, you know, maybe this is already an opinion, but like that's uh, where um, they're leaving the door open for a, a new vaccine, you know, um, and new iterations of vaccines. Uh, and, and, and I think that's kind of what's at play here too, uh, to open, leave that door wide open, you know, for um, future iterations of vaccines to continue to force people to submit to this uh, in order to supposedly save us. Um, yeah, one of the uh, one of the myths or one of the things in the legend of Omicron um, is like it started in a single person. I think they identify that person as in Botswana. That person had was HIV compromised or something like that, and that it it gestated within them and spread from that point. Like that's the myth, right? And then the second myth that they that they talk about, and the reason I'm calling it a myth is because that's the story. But I'm just telling you, I don't necessarily believe that. I don't believe that story. Like I don't think that they know. But they're saying they say it, but I don't think they know when they're saying it. I think that's the narrative they push. Um, and um, uh, the uh, the other myth is that way as Africa itself is 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 under vaccinated, um, and and South Africa uh, is is also you know only twenty only twenty six percent vaccinated. I think I've heard twenty six to thirty two percent. And the implication is is that because of that it, that it's a um, it's a it's an incubator for for a variance um and what they do, i mean one i don't that again i don't think that's true and there again i would talk about it flu as a means of trying to get at some of these sorts of things but two the real story about africa is despite the low level of vaccination six percent for the entire continent covid is is very low there covid cases are very low there that's the real story there i think there's a second story in my opinion in terms of south africa's relationship to china um, that gets to and Southern Africa's connection and Africa's connection to China that gets to why the U.S. is doing what it's doing, in my opinion. But um, I don't think it's about stopping spread. And and again, using again their own narrative with their own vaccines that they say work on this thing. If you took their story at face value and said it started in South Africa, then the way people are traveling, all the people who travel, if you go to Canada, you got to be vaccinated. If you go to Israel, you got to be vaccinated. If you go to Denmark, you got to be that. So all these people who are traveling to these other other countries from this place that started this supposedly were vaccinated, and they bring it over. It's like there's nothing. There's not. There's no there there in these vaccines. Um, and uh, there is a thing that they're doing, which is more about mandates and control and digital QR codes, but nothing that has to do with stopping transmission or infection. Um, and it just keeps unfolding this way, but they keep on getting away using fear, fear, fear with things that are kind of like flatly obvious in front of us um, by making it seem like this is the most dangerous thing that's ever happened. And now they're going to ramp up another level. I think there was an article that was that was talking about a, an Israeli war game that was done in November, early November where they were war gaming the idea that an Omega variant had gotten loose and they were going to use that war game to push vaccination of the children. Like how would you, how would you make it so that you could vaccinate more of your children? I definitely believe that that's going to be 
an outcome of the Omicron thing, which is how do you get more U.S. children vaccinated? Um, that's that's what this is really about. It's it's a narrative. It's a lie. It's I actually would say it's a con. Like, what is a con? A con is you tell partial truths and misdirections to, t- to get people to pay attention to one thing while over here you're doing another. And that's what I think is going on here. It's a giant con game of half truths and lies to misdirect the, your, you know, the, the working class in various countries so they can pull off these various other operations. And that's what I think is happening. Hey, go ahead, Kenny. Uh, yeah, just on that note, um, um, oh yeah, part of the story has been that Omicron affects younger people and that's what's scaring, you know, the experts, uh, so-called experts. Uh, so it's already, I think, being primed for what you're saying, um, that, you know, that's why we should be afraid of it, even though there ha- there will be variants, there have been variants. Like I remember at one point there was, there was a variant out of South Africa like 11 months ago. <laughs> And, and uh, it didn't receive this attention. I remember at one point, um, in the ha- there was a mission, like a San Francisco neighborhood variant that people were talking about. Um, and so, and it's interesting, right? Like that they've um, isolated these countries versus countries like Canada and you know European countries that already have cases. And, and they, they claim that this was specifically to that region in like a few days, right? Since it was reported. Um, and so in reality, like, I think I would question that too, right? In, in, besides the obvious of, you know, the severity of it, and it, it, it is absolutely a narrative that I think is pushing the vaccination age to younger and younger. That's another thing. There is massive, uh, vaccine res- uh, hesitancy in, in these countries too, and in, in Africa in general, really. And actually like, that was one story that was, I found interesting in doing research for this is that. Like a week ago, a week before the variant was announced, uh, so that because w- one narrative that has been pushed to has been that uh, the, 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 these places have become a center of incubation because of the low vaccination, just like you said, Lipson. But they didn't say that, for example, South Africa was rejecting vaccines because they had too many vaccines. So it's not a lack of vaccinations because they're selling it as an inequity thing. Like, you know, even like this vaccination expert. She she's part of the Alliance for Vaccination, whatever, and she was framing it as a this is a failure of the global system in providing vaccines to the global south. You know, it, so again, it's being framed as in inequity. Or in, never mind that she should know that South Africa was rejecting vaccines. You know, and then you can argue like infrastructural issues with regarding Pfizer, but they were rejecting Johnson and Johnsons. You know requires supposedly less, uh, um, you know, infrastructure to be transported. Um, and so that's a story that has been completely, you know, swept to the side that people just don't want to get it. And they're not having the, the, the number of cases that the European countries can't claim. And I want to add one more thing to that part of the story about South Africa is that South Africa in September had reached an agreement with China to build a Sinovac plant, a plant that would produce the Sinovac vaccine there. Um, and of course, China, since all this has happened, has said, oh, we're going to give 600 million doses of their, our Sinovac and Sinopharm. Um, the U.S. is talking about similar sorts of things. Um, and even the Chinese who want the, the, the African government to be 
promoting the vaccine and getting it in this public is was knowing that the vac the, the the South African government was not successfully um, getting adults to take it. So they were so they actually had made, reached an agreement with the with the African government to start with children and to get more and more African children vaccinated using the Sinovac and possibly Sinopharm. So again, everyone's trying to come in with this, and and I really think that the way the United States is talking about it and the left is talking about it, which is like, we are, Africa's under vaccinated. We need to get them vaccinated. We need to give them vaccines. It's like, well, they don't want it. And you are essentially acting again, like imperialists, even the left is acting imperialists saying, you need, we need to vaccinate Africa to protect them, to save them from, from this stuff. But the African people don't want this, you know, and there it's having to be forced by governments, whether it be the Chinese government or the U S government or left liberals in the United States are, are forcing this stuff on the people of Africa who don't want it and apparently don't need it because they've been able to be fine with this thing without it. Um, and, you know, I really do see what the U.S. is doing much more in the framework of, yes, there's a there's an internal role and there's, there's going to be a, a whole vaccine narrative. But I also see what's happening in Africa very much in relationship to the scramble for Africa between U.S. and China. And so these travel bans that are there, I think this is going to be a game of brinkmanship to try to undo what the headway that China has made. There was an article recently that China had essentially gained ownership of a Ugandan um, uh, airport, of of the Ugandan international airport, because the Ugandan government could not pay back loans. You've heard that before. So this is the part of their Belt and Road Initiative. This is them moving in with money to get uh, African countries, uh, you know, on their on the Chinese dime and give them access to money. But then when they can't pay back the loans, you ba- you grab the resources. We've heard that with World Bank and IMF. And so now now China's playing that game and the U.S. is saying, oh, my God, they're taking over our our they're doing our racket in, in Africa. And so the U.S. is trying to respond. So that, that's what I think. I also feel like that is driving this sort of um, isolate these countries that have, I think, a better relationship financially with China than, than with the United States and try to figure out a way of punishing them, isolating them and make them less useful for China. Right. Um, well, first, there's so many points I wanted to say. So there was just, I'll just say for, um, for the point on children. And this is, this goes out to people in California because um, I'm trying, I'm organizing just here mildly with right now, not yet full on throttle yet, but with some families and as of right now for vaccine mandates, you do not have to get your child vaccinated. You can have ideological or religious exemptions. So if, and this one I will respond to, I'm a horrible responder, but I do not, I respond immediately when it comes to religious and ideological exemption letters. I have them already written down. I've been working on them. If you want to contact me, you can contact me directly through the blog or you can contact me at Don Eduardo Abarca. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, those are my social media handles. So if you really want to, so in California, you do not, I repeat, you do not have to have your child vaccinated. Uh, you have a religious or ideological uh, exemption. So contact me for that. That's what I wanted to talk about this, because this is going to lead to more um, pressure on vaccinating children because of the Omicron variant. Uh, next point I want to mention was, um, I follow this uh, this uh, t- uh, this person, uh, uh, they're called Prof, Prof-, Prof-, Prof- Freedom on Twitter, and they, uh, I think, I don't remember if she or he or they, whatever, they, um, so they, uh, they're not necessarily anti-vaxxer, they say pro-COVID vax for elderly, but again, wonderful stuff up there, if you want to look, and I'll share my screen right now, 
Um, so this is what we know right now. What we know about Sweden, and they posted this, and they have it here. This isn't the 31st of July, but as of right now that I know of, last time there's some graphs that they shared recently, and they haven't had any high uh, mortalities. So if we just look at Sweden, no lockdown, no masks, uh, no business closures, no school closures below grade nine, no childcare closures, no vaccine passports, negative tests required, and some almost no COVID at ICUs at the moment. This is what Sweden is looking like. And this is this is in the in the midst of this Omicron variant. Uh, their, their response recently, and this is what I had looked at earlier. This is Anders uh, uh, Tegnell, Tegnell. Um, sorry for my pronunciation, I'm a Spanish speaker. And this is the state epidemiologist. And they say right now, as of right now, Sweden, uh, which never went into lockdown, um, they say that they will not be changing any of their uh, protocols or anything uh, in major changes in Sweden as of right now. It, ha it has worked in the past, they're saying. So Sweden's COVID death toll is around the European average, which is uh, death rates in Sweden with over 15,000 COVID-related deaths, are, uh, even though they're stating here, this is the article, are higher than Nordic countries. Yet... Uh, they never went into lockdown and they did not ban, uh, they did ban nursing home visits and limited number of people. But again, their their way of dealing with this has been very different from most uh, uh, northern uh, northern countries uh, of uh, global north. So what I'm just trying to point out is, is that there are other ways, but I, 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 I'm just... Obviously, we know that there's control at stake here for for these from the USA and other European countries. But there, whatever it is, whatever your conspiratorial reason is, or uh, I just feel as if if we just looked at other countries as they're dealing with it, and as you also pointed out, Andy, with Africa, with high recovery rates and low mortality rates, and people have been surviving. This is really a way to get people, workers, corral them into do what we're uh, to to do something that we don't want to do against our will. So I don't think this Omicron is the variant. Uh, and as Dr. Monica Gandhi has said in a previous article that I'll link, uh, there isn't really a need to panic. But this fear mongering in the media is just a way to say, well, we need to start doing this. It went from, again, as I repeat, it went from you can, now you should get your booster. And, uh, and it doesn't pose any real risk. Uh, and people don't really know what's happening uh, with this Omicron. I was looking at this other doctor. He is a pro-vaxxer and he's saying something that I thought we should, if I may, that's, if this is all right, yep. uh, what I would, and he's a pro-vaxxer and he's saying, we really don't know much about what's happening, but they're, they're doing all these changes. Let me do this after you remove this. Let's talk about the new variant. I think it's fair to say that nobody knows much about the new variant. They don't know if it spreads more, and they don't know if it's more or less deadly. And as long as they don't know those things, it's probably best to see what happens, but they like to talk about it anyway. And the media's buzz with it. The stock market has collapsed and rebounded a little bit, all based on the coverage, all based on fear. Well, what can I say? I can say one thing. I think border closure is quite silly. Why is it silly? By the time you do it, you've already had the cases spread into all these nations. So what you're really doing is you're having a big intervention that changes the lives of many people, interrupts their travel plans, only for that marginal delta of lowering, potentially lowering the seed load by maybe having fewer people travel to that area. 
I say potentially because it might not even do that. And the reason it might not do that is many of these travel bans, they don't start right at the moment of the ban. They start two days or three days from now. And so if you announce a travel ban in three days, what you're really doing is say, let's all crowd into the airports right now and come on over. And that is what you see when these flights get booked up solid immediately after the announcement of a travel ban. It's really a silly policy. And so I'm critical of the people who have implemented it. I think that's going to be problematic. So I do think that travel bans, probably not a good idea, certainly not necessary at this moment in the pandemic. We will learn a lot more about the variant, and we will learn about whether or not the vaccine covers it, I think, quite soon. The next point, boosters. The CDC and the president, they had a nice statement. They said, you know, we don't know a lot about this new variant. And as long as we don't know, we're going to change the rule around boosters from if you're over 18, you can get a booster to if you're over 18, you should get a booster. But that's a bizarre claim because you've conceded you know nothing about the new variant. So if that claim was to be made without knowing new information, you could have made it a few days ago. You don't need to make it right at this moment. It's really kind of fueling a panic. What do I think about that claim? I think they really are... They're on a far ledge there. They're on, they're on a limb of a tree and they have little to stand on. What do I mean? There's some 18, 19, 20-year-old boy who's already gotten two doses of Moderna. This is a healthy person. This person doesn't work in healthcare. This person has no high-risk features. And this person is now being advised by the CDC that they should get a booster. But that means to me, the CDC has some idea that the benefits of this person getting the booster, this 20-year-old boy, is greater than the harms of this 20-year-old man getting the booster. That's what it means to me. But they don't know that to be true because the benefits is a theoretical reduction in the risk of severe SARS-CoV-2 outcomes that nobody really knows for sure because not many people of that age were included in any study. And certainly nobody with the two doses of Moderna, there's no published study that shows what happens to a 20-year-old boy after two doses of Moderna being randomized to the booster, no booster. That study has not been disseminated. It's not been out there. We only have a press release from the Pfizer study. So we really don't know what the reduction in bad outcomes is. We do know that the two Moderna doses this 20-year-old man got are already immensely protective. So what is the value of getting the booster? What about myocarditis? We know Moderna has much more myocarditis than Pfizer, so much so that many European nations have halted its use altogether in anyone under the age of 30. We know that in the Pfizer data from Israel, that the third dose, it has appears to have a lower risk of myocarditis than dose two, partly and perhaps because it's being given so much later but it's not zero. And so every excess myocarditis you get after a dose three Moderna, you really have to ask yourself, is that risk worth it? What is the benefit you're getting from this? And so I do think that the CDC's unilateral changing of policy without having an advisory committee, without seeking the input of external advisors is quite reckless. It doesn't represent good policymaking in my mind. And it makes me concerned when the head of the CDC is saying that masks have 80% benefit, not true, as well as making this decision, which is really a gamble. And it's, I don't know who's running this policy, but you've had the top two officials in FDA, drug prod in FDA vaccine products resign. You've had a number of external commenters suggest that you're playing fast and loose. You've had Paul Offit, who's on the Vaccine Advisory Committee, writing with the two resigned scientists and op-ed saying that they disagree with universal boosters. You have the Marion Gruber, Phil Krauss, and, and Paul Offit writing that op-ed. This is a problem. I mean, you need some temperance within the administration to govern boosters. Yes, vaccination is a good, but that doesn't mean everyone has to get unlimited vaccines all the time without any data. You want randomized controlled trials to show you the benefit of each incremental vaccine. So that, to me, I think is a big problem. And so we shall see what happens there. Yeah. I'm, I don't. 
people can watch it. I'll link it. But what I'm just trying to say is there is a lot of unknowns and we're putting our young people at risk. And that is what I fear. This is all this rush and this policy making is really putting people like myself who are being re recommended to take this boost. I haven't even taken my first shot. Uh, uh, to to putting under uh, putting doing stuff or experimenting on us when you haven't even have the data to be able to back up what you want to do and in the policy changes. So this guy obviously is a pro-vaxxer, but what I'm I'm concerned about is how much we don't know. When I gave the interview at for hearsay, when I was talking about for children, how much we don't know. Why are we putting our lives at risks when you don't have the data to be able to? To, to see the long-term effects of this. This is something that's concerning to me and it's very reckless, as he said. So anyhow, I'm just sharing that. Of course, there are differences that I hold with you, but uh, I thought it was very interesting from even from a pro-vaxxer point of view, because we haven't really shared any of uh, much of their points of view, but there's a, there's, a, there's a concern amongst the community as well. And that's all I wanted to say. What I think is magical, um, even people that question you know, that are pro-vaxxers, like, like this doctor, um, cautious pro-vaxxers, I guess, that's what I would kind of label them. Um, they're still having a debate about the vaccines, you know, like whether that's, and, and it's not even of like a debate of, look, this is, hasn't worked. You know, this is not doing what they said it was gonna do. You know, same with the masks and, all these, and a lot of these policies, you know, the lockdowns, they don't go far enough to question that. It's just about whether the vac this vaccine, basically, or a new vaccine will, will, will work with this new variant. That's what I feel like the, the argument becomes. And, and we're not even like listening or, or looking at other therapies, right? Obviously, you have to question the very statistics, the death, and all the purpose mismanagement of that, you know, for, to create the premise of a threat to the world. But... You know, yeah, I, I'm not, I don't go as far as saying like, this is, doesn't exist. Okay, there is, you know, it affects people. Um, but what other therapies are there that are already existing, you know, in, 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 in you know, like ivermectin, right? It was vilified in this nation by the media, right? When it's been used widely in other countries. I actually talked to a friend who's from South Africa because I saw their response to, she was going to supposed to travel this December to South Africa and then her plans went downhill because she has to go through Europe you know, in order to get down there, um, you know, and another thing that she pointed out, because she was also stuck in Mexico when the pandemic started in 2020, it's like she found out doing research that they don't close the borders to everyone. They just, to not, they don't cross the borders to nationals, you know, by and large, like nationals of South Africa can still go in. So she, if she finds a flight, she can still make it into South Africa and come back here because she's a dual citizen. But this is, the, this is what I got from her about out of South Africa, that she was so pissed that you know, the world went ahead right, and to punish South Africa for releasing this thing. And in reality, South Africa has a more, probably a more advanced like, virus response. You know, like they're, they're more equipped because they've dealt with a lot of pandemics, you know, the AIDS epidemic, the TB, uh, Ebola, and they actually are way more involved than, than, than other countries. I think the global South is used to dealing with you know, pandemics and, and you know, like cholera, uh, you know, dengue, malaria, chikungunya, Zika, you know, like I, I, my family almost died from chikungunya, not from this, and they all got Ebola, you know, sorry, not Ebola. My, my family got chikungunya, it's a mosquito uh, transmitted disease that gives you joint pains, diarrhea, 
and they also had COVID and chikungunya was way more threatening to them. You know, no one cared about it at the time, really. Like the world didn't care about it. Um, and so going back to South Africa, my friend, she shared a story about her dad who had uh, COVID. Her dad was skeptic, you know, ah, this is just a made up thing. You know, he was not vaccinated. Then he doesn't have a spleen he was, that was removed, which she explained that uh, it has an effect on, on the white blood cells in, in, in your body as a response to your immune system. So you're more prone to get sick. So he did get COVID. His partner also got COVID. He was hospitalized in South Africa, but they did different therapies than they do here. He even got a chiropractic uh, exercises on the chest to, to allow for chest flexibility, something that was learned uh, through the ACE, uh, you know, issues brought at the end of the life of a lot of people, you know, providing chiropractical, you know, exercises to the chest. And the dad said that that was the single most thing that helped him the most. It was a non-invasive, you know, uh, therapy that was learned through the AIDS epidemic. Uh, and then his partner, who never was hospitalized, had long-term effects because he was ne he never, she never received any treatment, you know, because uh, he did receive some drugs that she doesn't remember. The point is that, that I'm trying to make is that there is, a lot of these countries have more experience than we do dealing with pandemics. Not only that, but um, they also have alternatives to the vaccine because we are hyper-focusing on the vaccine in the US, you know, Western countries wanna teach the Southern dirty disease countries how to handle things. They wanna impose the will, they wanna impose the vaccines because as we've mentioned before, this is an imperialist project. You know, this is not about public health because actually these countries have, a lot of these countries have better responses to public health than we do. I mean, I, I agree that it's that there are other ways, like there are other health things to do here. Um, and it's good to hear that the guy who's pro-vax at least is getting some idea that there's, that there's some story that's not making sense. And I understand that he wants to call this reckless. Um, the problem is, is I think people, this isn't reckless. Um, I, this, if you, you have to talk about this. Do, can you guys see what that is? A QR code. QR code. That's what this is about, right? This is what this whole thing is about. It's, it's what it is. It, it, it is related to getting people's data. It is related to blockchain. It is related to human impact investment. And this is why the story of Sweden doesn't get you free. Sweden has found a friendly road to digital ID because all this is, is the road to digital ID. So Sweden is not an option for us. Sweden just exposes that the health care, that the health thing here is a fraud. But I do want to take issue or, or at least question the notion that the U.S. itself doesn't have any history. I mean, I, I understand about some of these other um, uh, some of these other diseases that we don't face. Actually, the U.S. has a rich history of dealing with things like COVID. First of all, what is the chance? We just have to remind ourselves. What is the chance for all age groups, overall chance of being hospitalized by COVID? Does anybody know that number? Less than yeah. Less than 1%. That's true for all ages. Now we know it affects elderly more, right? But if you take all the ages combined and for children, like barely nothing, and I'm including to 18 to 20, the idea that somebody who has virtually no chance of being hospitalized to get vaccinated 
but with something whose only aim, whose only thing is help you, keep you out of a hospital, makes no sense. All your, it's all risk and no gain there. But, but, that, but the reason it doesn't make any sense is because it's not about vaccinating children for health. It's about vaccinating children to get them on the daily pass, to get them in the digital ID system and get them a QR code that puts their vaccine status, that puts their, their health status in there. We can start to get their grades in there. Then we get their finances in there. And then, then they're coming to school with their QR code. And that's what's going to be happening in San Francisco next year. You know, and this is what's already happening in LA Unified. They use the daily pass QR code to get to school. That's what this is about. So here's what I want to say. And the reason I do think there is worth, it is worth remembering that the U.S. has a long history of dealing with variants, actually, and, and viruses. Um, I'm going to share my screen and show you all something, which you probably know. Like, so what are we looking at here? A phylogenetic tree. It's a phylogenetic tree for flu. H1N1, right? That's one of the strains of flu. What do you think the difference between all these red, red branches are over here? What do you think they, you would call them? Those variants? They're variants. They're different mutations. Now, when we talk, now, do you all agree? We've all been raised with flu, right? Mm -hmm. We've all been raised with flu vaccines. And when you go to this blue one, to, I mean, from this red one to this blue one, you're not talking about variants, you're talking about strains. Remember how they say, hey, we're building a vaccine to this strain of, of, of flu? Well, what is the difference between strain and variant? Variant just means it's been mutated and flus just like COVID or just like the SARS-CoV-2, if you believe that this thing, then they're, again, they haven't isolated it, so I don't know, but I'm just gonna use their, their stuff. All right, SARS goes to have some sort of viral thing going on. Go ahead. Can you can you, can you explain what the importance of isolating uh, the, the virus is? Um, that actually proves that because when you isolate it, which they can do in flus because they can get chicken eggs to produce the actual virus, then you can sequence the, the actual virus as opposed to uh, putting it together on a computer. Which, I mean, if you look at the people who did these variant studies, they're informational biogeneticists and they're biocomputational people. I don't actually know. Like this is why I'm not really sure about where about the variant itself. I do believe there's been some sequencing of something, but I don't know what they what they got to sequence because again, I have not heard evidence that the actual virus has been isolated and then from that isolate sequence that you can sequence people's DNA, but does that prove that you're sequencing? The, a virus that came, you're just sequencing people's DNA and you're finding codes within there that conform to something that looks like SARS-CoV-2 or has a similar sequence. Turns out that as they said, and they said with a PCR test, the PCR test couldn't distinguish between flu and SARS-CoV-2. So I, I'm just saying, I'm, but I'm going to go with the narrative that there is this thing called COVID because I have heard, I mean, and there's enough going on that people who've gotten this uh, sick by this have noticed different symptoms than what they would associate with flu. So I, I've I gotten sick by it three times now. Well, I'm just saying that the type yeah. of sickness that they've experienced is different than what they've experienced with flu. It's, it, it has flu, like, but there's other things going on. So personally, I think there it is a, I, I use, I currently use the viral model to explain it, but the idea, I just want to say, 
that we have lived in a world, we have been floating in a sea of variants, H1N1 and various ones, for 100 years. And you can see them here. And the variants are become strains when the actual mutation turns it into something that changes its behavior, changes the way it responds to antibodies, changes the way it binds onto something. So variants themselves don't mean anything. Strain is what is the thing that you're worried about. And that's what is changing when you go from this red one to the blue one. And you've heard, oh, we need to produce a new vaccine to this new strain of flu. You've heard that term before, right? You probably didn't hear them say variant of flu. You heard them hear strain. Now, this is what's happening right now is right now we are speaking of all these variants as if we already know that they have a different phenotypical response, some sort of physical response that's going to change them. We don't know that. Just like they didn't know that with these, they have to do tests on them. All right. Now, there's a reason they're saying that they think there's a because they're, the, where they're saying they see these mutations is in a receptor binding place. I can explain that if you want to get into it. But I, what I want to say is we have dealt with this question of variants and strains for the last hundred years. And we haven't created passports over it. We haven't blamed unvaccinated people who are not vaccinated with the flu for the, the creation of new strains of the, of the flu. It's just a natural part of the process. So mutations and variants and strains are a natural part of the life cycle of a flu. And this was true back here in 2009, then 2010, then 2011. And you will remember at any point in the last 10 years, did anybody say, wait a second, it's the unvac, it's the people who aren't getting the flu vaccines that are responsible for all these flu variants and then flu strains. Have, has, have they ever blamed the unvaccinated for that? No, of course not. No. I mean, no. I think obviously the problem is that there's this idea that this is more deadly than the flu, right? But it isn't. But it, it I mean, and even using the CDC, it's this, it's literally got the only way it's, it's, it seems if you use CDC numbers, it's literally the same numbers. It's, it's, it's easy. It's better for kids and it's worse for elderly, 65 and older. But the fact is, is it's identical. It's an identical type of virus. It's retrovirus. It's RNA inside. And the reason that it produces so many mutations is because of this, because here's where the mutation is occurring. It occurs at the level of the DNA. And so I'm, I'm showing you a model of, we did this before. I'm showing you a model of retrovirus. H1N1 is a retrovirus. COVID is a retrovirus. Why does it mutate so much? It mutates so much because the mRNA, which is right here, this is the viral mRNA, which is inside the capsid, right? The capsid gets recognized by the cell, goes inside the cell, it opens up, here's the mRNA. Well, there's something called a reverse transcriptase, right? Which turns the MR, which reads the RNA and turns it into DNA. Now, reading DNA is a very important thing. Do our cells divide and split? Yeah. Do we need to reproduce a new strand of DNA when we do that? No. When our cells divide, do, does our, do our cells need to, to produce a new strand of DNA? Yeah. DNA. Yes, they do. And would you want, when it reproduces that DNA, would you want that thing that reproduces that DNA to do it like pretty accurately? Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to have mutations and that does happen, but normal DNA synthesis from DNA to DNA is extremely accurate. Well, guess what's true about this reverse transcriptase? The one that turns RNA to DNA. It's not very accurate. It produces mutations all along this thing, all the way. So 
That's why this thing is so prone to mutation, because the reverse transcriptase of the H1N1, of the SARS-CoV-2, actually, when it goes from RNA to DNA, and again, the DNA is going to integrate itself into your genome, it's, it has, a high, it has a, high muta- a, high, a high mistake rate. So it tends to produce mutations, which produces variant after variant after variant after variant. But only certain ones become actually mutations, which actually can give it different properties. And those are called strains. And so you have to do tests on that. And you have to see what, how it behaves to know if a, if a variant is a strain. And guess what they're doing with this variant? They just identified a week ago, essentially. They're immediately saying that they're, oh, look what, look what it's, it's, it's all different. Now, they're saying they presume it's all different. They don't know it's all different, but they're going to call it all different. And they're going to make a lot of stuff up. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say it right now. Because this is just normal behavior. of a, And the general profile for, for mutating virus is to say, well, yeah, it'll be more transmissible, but less... Um, uh, but less actually dangerous. And that's the general profile for the development of, and that's what they talk about in epidemiology. So that's how things tend to go, all right? So for me, this whole thing that we're seeing is something we're treating like it's new, like we've never heard of variants before, and we have to mark every variant and make a big case about it. But we have been swimming in a sea of variants for our entire lives. They just haven't been COVID variants. They've been H1N1 variants and other types of flu variants, something that kills roughly 500,000 people per year across the globe, in uh, rough up and down. And sometimes it's epidemics and goes higher. Sometimes it's not as bad, right? And sometimes they they try to make flus to some, I mean, vaccines to some of these things. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't do so well, all right? And so this is is nothing new here. if I may add, uh, I'm looking at the website of your alma mater, John Hopkins, Dr. Andrew Lipson. Yeah. And it says here, <laughs> the common cold, as also another one of these uh, respiratory diseases, uh, leads to more healthcare provider visits and absences from school and work than any other illness each year. And there are, it's caused by any one of the several various viruses that exist that are 200 uh, of them. And that are not even named, right? I mean, I'm just going to name a, f- a few facts, right? Um, colds are minor infections of the nose and throat caused by more than 200 different viruses. Um, rhinovirus is the most common co- uh, cause, uh, 10 to 40% of colds. Um, and then uh, a cold may last about one week, but some colds last longer, especially in children, the elderly and those in poor health. In the USA, colds account for more visits, as I said, to the, uh, uh, to the doctor than any other condition. An adult can get an average of two to four colds per year, mostly between September and May. Young children suffer from an average of six to eight colds. When have each one of those been um, uh, been called with a variant or have been locked down or not or told not to go to school? Uh, colds are highly contagious and they most often spread when droplets of fluid uh, that contain a cold virus are transferred by touch. Very similar to COVID. And there was never any, right, as you're also pointing out with the flu, there was never any... A passport, there was not any closures, there was no lockdowns, etc. So it's something we've lived with before. So what I'm saying is what the ruling class has been able to do is take a very familiar phenomenon that they know exists and goes on all the time. And they've just rebranded it here, folks. They've just rebranded it and turned it into a nightmare for us and made everyone afraid and gotten everyone to think like, oh my God, this thing, what could it do to me? 
but we've been living with these sort we've been living with viruses which mutate and where some of the many of the mutate most of the mutations make no real effect and some of the mutations actually inactivate the thing occasionally there's a mutant which makes it behave differently which means it escapes the last vet version of the vaccine they produced because it responds differently to how it binds to something how it's how it binds to the antibody that recognizes it and that's what they and that's why they try to change the 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 vaccines in the in the future years to deal with that new strain which means a mutation that actually has changed the flu enough so it's different enough that the old vaccine won't recognize it or won't recognize it as well and that takes time to figure out it, you have to do like each year they do about 7000 sequences which is actually not very many compared to the millions of cases that they have this is one of the reasons why i personally am very suspicious of when they say oh this is omicron this is omicron this is omicron to actually know if it's omicron you got to sequence these things and that takes a lot of time you can't do this through pcr i have been trying to figure out how they're using pcr to figure out that things are omicron and the best guess i have is from what i've heard is because they're saying this thing this thing has so many mutations that there are three primers that they use to to, to do the PCR. And they're saying that the Omicron strain is not recognized by one of the one of the three primers, meaning that only two of the primers will produce a strand, the other one won't, meaning that two of the primers will produce a positive test, the third primer will produce a negative test. If that happens, they're calling that thing Omicron. Mm -hmm. They're not calling it Omicron because they've sequenced it. And so personally, I have real doubts that they're able to claim, make claims about what is Omicron and what is not if you haven't done the sequencing and sequencing takes a long time, you know, and that's what that's, you can't do it in certainly in an antigenic test, which is 30 minutes. And you can't do it with these PCR tests that take a two day turnover. It's a, it's a much more involved process, which they do with flu, but they have to, they have to do that all for a whole year to, in order to figure out what they think the flu of that season will be coming up next time. And this, what they're doing here when they say, oh, Omicron in San Francisco, Omicron in Le Netherlands, Omicron here. Honestly, I'd like to know how they know it's Omicron. I'd like to know if they sequenced it because I don't know if they have. And I'm not hearing that they have. And I'll say who might've done the sequencing is the people in Botswana. They might've sequenced something and seen that it had a different genetic strand. And I can show you the claim that they're making about it to say why they think it might be different. But again, that's getting into the science, which frankly, I think is bullshit. But it's just now it's a, it would be a science class, not because it's going to help us understand what's happening. If you want to understand what's happening, you've got to understand the fourth industrial revolution. You've got to know about digital IDs. And that's what this is about. But if you want to know what the cover story is for this thing and you want to know a little bit of science in, to do that, we could go down that road if you want. Yeah, that's why I think it's important what you brought up in terms of like it's more important to understand what's happening, like that deal that they made with China, South Africa, uh, you know, and the wrestling over over Africa overall. Um, Africa is also one of the biggest, uh, facing one of the biggest demographic growths, you know, the population growth, a lot of young people. That's why I think, find suspicious that this supposedly affects young people more uh, because like, again, Africa and in the context of the fourth industrial revolution, data mining, yeah, data being the most valuable asset, you know, Africa is sort of an untapped, relatively untapped yes. uh, center of people whose data can be extracted. And 
just like in the U.S., the, the sooner you get in there and, and insert the systems of, of data extraction, data tracking, data surveillance, uh, the sooner you have uh, access to tapping that oil well, you know, data well. Yep. Uh, and so I, I agree with you that that's the bigger story. Um, that's the, the story that makes sense, um, you know, because like, considering within the narrative that's been constructed, you know, when you go to the, even their own data, right, which I even question, like, how the hell are we getting that data? Because, you know, we've been shown the data can be uh, manipulated. I don't, I saw this meme. I don't know if it's true that um, Mark Twain said it, but he hate, he hated three things, lies, damn lies, and statistics, you know, and because statistics is taken as, you know, this like, uh, you know, objective thing. In reality, we saw like in the election with uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, versus Trump, how like they manipulated the polls basically to show a, a, a bigger lead of, of Hillary over Trump. And then we saw what happened, which came, it's another topic, but it, it's just, a, that's my point. Like, I don't trust their data. And even with the narrative, if you see the world, uh, the WHO map, Africa has not had you know, close to the cases that the Northern Hemisphere has, you know, which is, you know, the epicenters of not the virus, but the, the epicenters of where this the war on the world and the working class of the world is, is coming out of. Because, you know, it, it reminds me of that quote of, you know, if you, for an empire to fight a, a war abroad, they had to have control of their domestic populations. Mm -hmm. so if we're raising hell here, if we're resisting this, they cannot go to Africa, you know, and impose this on them. Because they they basically have gotten us, you know. We have been subjected to a degree, um, you know, especially in the coastal in liberal centers. Um, that's why I find it suspicious that this decided that San Francisco had the first case of Omicron. You know, like it, we are the model child, you know, this city in in terms of these uh, digital identities or, or, or the way it's going to be implemented and imposed. And and we there is no resistance here. You know, because there's little understanding to those things that you named, Lipson, understanding the fourth industrial revolution, data mining, understanding blockchain, uh, you know, and, and this is where, again, Africa becomes important again, because the, uh, Alison McDowell shared that uh, article where uh, in Tanzania, the first blockchain baby was born. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these nonprofits are, are the Bill and Melinda Gates foundations are deep in these vaccination projects that are attached to also digital ID. You know, that, that is their ID, ID 2020 is yeah. a Bill and Melinda Gates project, yeah. uh, you know, to supposedly bring the vulnerable into, you know, connecting and wow. in, in, in accessing um, resources, right? And, and in reality, it's a locking key, locking lock key system, right? And the QR code being the key that we were talking about. So yeah, this is much bigger than fighting a supposed, you know, new variant. You know, this is about that wrestling of, you know, positioning over Africa, you know, in, in South Africa is one of the uh, bigger economies, right, of the continent, you know, and it has more ties to Europe and, and the U.S. than the rest of, of Africa. Yeah, I mean, I think the way South Africa I mean, Africa and India are talked about. It's like it's like the Middle East of the 20th century. It is the it is the new place where 
if you want to collect data so that you can build your AI, if you want to collect data for a, to, to have a labor market to tap, then the, the empire which gets in there the most and which is going to be the one that wins. And that's, and that's the scramble. So it is, um, that's, that's how I understand this. And so I would say that we have, I mean, people don't, unfortunately, liberals who are buying this stuff, they don't think this, but I'm just going to say it. Every, every reason that our ruling class gives for what it's doing, we have to understand is always going to be a lie. It's always going to be a misdirection. There's always going to be another reason for what it's doing. It is doing that thing. It might, it's, but the reason it's giving isn't the reason because they can't give the reason because their reasons, the real reasons are completely like anti-human. Like they're there to exploit people and to use people for their war aims and for taking over the globe. So they can't say that. I mean, they could say that. I suspect there's unfortunately some liberals who might even still back it right now because they've just gone mad. But most people would be would recoil if the government actually said exactly what it was doing. And William Casey, the CIA guy in 1980, said, like, look, we will we'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American people American public believes is false. 1981. It was clear that the goal for him as, a, as the head of the CIA was to misdirect the entire population of the United States about what the real aims of their government and, the, and corporations were. But yeah, I mean, I think that you earlier too framed this as a con. And I think that that's a very good explanation of how I think of things. You know, once I see, especially the media fixated in a situation, I'm like, what's the lie behind this? What's the, what's the intention, you know, because like they will never, if they reported the truth, like you said, more people, a lot of people will be disgusted, you know, um, it, 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 you know, like when I think of what's happening with um, South Africa or the, that region, you know, the Southern tip of Africa, uh, I think of it more of a, a, a war, um, psychological warfare, you know, in, you know, spreading a lie, terrorizing people, not just over there, but here, you know, to subject people. That's what we've been under, I think, a, a, a psychological warfare on everyone, you know, uh, bombarding us with fear mongering. Uh, and so what I think about is that, again, who's leading the charge, you know, and, and, and then we ask ourselves, why would other countries fall behind it? What is your option? I mean, they will bend you to their, their will. You know, like they will bend your economy. Like, like that's one of, you know, at least the, the, the leaders of South Africa or the, you know, they're like, no, this is too robust. Like this is too drastic, you know? And, and I could see why they, they try to flip it for a narrative about, you know, we don't have enough vaccines, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like the, the rest of the countries, you're going to have to pick sides. You know, you're going to have to, you can't just resist because you will be crushed on this, the, the ability to close your borders and access to, to you know, to economic uh, interactions. And, and so in reality, there is no say by the rest of the countries. It's the big players that are deciding this game, you know, and the other ones have to follow or you'll be isolated like they do with individuals, right, that, are, that don't want to get vaccinated. If a country doesn't want to implement a vaccination program, they're, you know, considered crazy, you know, right-wing, fascists, you know, under the, the narrative that they've created. So again, my point is that it doesn't matter what the rest of the countries do. It's really the big players that are dictating the game. 
So there's a lot that was said um, from both your ends. And I think I'll just tackle the part where this the whole disinformation thing. Uh, this disinformation, I was listening to Glenn Greenwald invite, and I really appreciate Glenn. If you, I would ask people to really look at his uh, recent, I think it was yesterday, his on YouTube, he invited a critic and he's not inviting people who are experts. He invited just a random listener uh, named Stephen Fritz. And it, it, this guy is not, he just considers himself to be a political nerd as he self uh, labeled himself. And I love that Glenn Greenwald doesn't really think that nobody is a nobody, as they say. He thinks everybody is a somebody. So he invited some random listener or um, because of their, their good email response. So back to, so he invited him, the critics, he invited him because of the criticism that he's received lately uh, on his views on Rittenhouse, on Fauci, on him coming onto Carl Tuckerson. And one of the things he said about this information, which I really appreciate, is that he says it's all relative, like all the science is relative. It's all relative to what the institutions at the moment are saying. Scientists that, um, you know, the institutions are currently um, going to uphold and they're going to find those views and those alignments with them. And at one point, Fauci had said, no, uh, masks do not help. And if you had posted anything, he says, Glenn Greenwell, this is true. If you had posted anything about uh, masks on YouTube, you would have been removed at that time, right? And suddenly it's changed and suddenly you're allowed. So these institutions are controlling what is considered disinformation. What, and also when it comes to uh, censorship, I, do, you, do you believe that there is a uh, disinformation uh, problem on the internet when it comes to uh, the election and uh, vaccine hesitancy and uh, 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 skepticism, I guess you could say. Yeah, I think. Well, I think there's, there's some major problem wherever you have free speech. There's going to be people spreading ideas that aren't true. Yeah. I think there's a disinformation problem when it comes to COVID. I think there's a disinformation problem when it comes to our elections. I think there's a big disinformation problem when it comes to almost right. every issue. And so, oftentimes, it comes from the establishment corporate outlets, not from you know, kind of like QAnon or Facebook boomers. And I think the solution to disinformation is more free speech, not having Facebook and Google police our discourse. Okay, well, earlier you uh, you disagreed that uh, hiring a hitman, uh, which is literally intended to harm people, uh, that's not free speech, obviously not. Um, but when it comes to spreading information that people fall for and they end up hurting themselves because the information they're getting uh, they're getting is is, is faulty, like uh, unscientifically based, and uh, ends up like with, with people believing in things that ultimately harm themselves or others, uh, it you you still believe that that disinformation that leads to harm. Trust, who do you trust when it so? Let's say we're talking about debates about booster shots or vaccines mm -hmm. or um, whether masks are effective, cough masks. Mm -hmm. Who do you trust? Sure. Which institutions do you trust to decree what is true and what is false to the point that you can no longer challenge their conclusions? Well, I, I, it's not so much as who, it's about what. I think if, if the data from the studies from uh, various uh, publicly funded institutions be it, be it whatever. I don't I don't have any uh, like examples of specific institutions, but if, if the data collected in, in various databases around the world from scientists that are, are, are collaborating and sharing data and sharing studies, if the data is 
so conclusive to the point where it's. But who it's decides that? Who decides it's so conclusive? Like it, the, it's crossed the line from debatable to non-debatable. It's not. A, I don't think it's about who. I think it's about the data that's collected and what the results, what the conclusions of that data that's collected. Well, I'll give shows. you an example. I'll give you an example. Like in March and April of 2020, so just like a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. the overwhelming consensus of the scientific community that came from Dr. Fauci, the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. scholars, and epidemiologists was that given what we knew about the novel coronavirus, mm-hmm. Wearing a mask, if you didn't have symptoms, was not just unnecessary, but actually ill-advised, like dangerous, because you could trap the virus into your nose and mouth and circulate it even more so in your system and increase your viral load. So if you had gone on to YouTube in March or April of 2020 and told people you believe they should use masks, you would have been contravening the consensus of advice from all of these establishment scientific institutions, do you think in March and April, people who did that should have been censored from the internet on the grounds that the evidence was conclusive, that masks were unnecessary or harmful? Um, I, I don't know much about that. I don't know if censoring them would be... Um, no, but but the, that, the guidance from the World Health Organization and Fauci were don't use masks. I, uh, I, it's been so long. Like I, yeah. I, 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 that was such a hectic time. I was just worried about like where my toilet paper was going to come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and if you t- talked about the Wuhan uh, virus coming out of a, a lab or something, at some time YouTube would remove you from from uh, or Facebook from all these platforms because the institutions and the government has all stated that you cannot spread this information. Suddenly, Fauci is saying, well it's a possible thing that we should probably look into, no? So suddenly it's allowed to be talked about on, on these platforms. And so uh, this information uh, says who, according to who, who is the controller of this disinformation? Uh, who decides what is disinformation and not? And uh, a consensus by scientists, uh, the consensus by scientists at the time, which led by Anthony Fauci about the masks was don't wear them. And that was the consensus, right? So I actually do have some issues around consensus because I, I um, about questioning consensus because I, I like for example, environmental climate change. I, I feel like that sometimes I do lean into it. Uh, uh, so I have had, there's other episodes where you see me saying that I I'll defend it at that time, but really that like I said, COVID has changed a lot of things, and I'm still questioning. I'm still developing some of this stuff, and for me, it's like, ooh. Who is deciding the consensus? Who is who it's being led? It's political. It's not really science, is it? Because as we've also shared, uh, Carl uh, Sagan's wife has said that science is never fact. It's always evolving. But have I mean? When, I, I don't think that they admitted that it didn't originate in the market. I think they're saying they don't know how it originated from an animal that gets brought in from all parts of China that are very closely related physically to bat enclaves and caves and come to the market. So I don't think anyone can say that it didn't come from here or it did come from here. 
In May of 2020, Gao Fu, director of China's Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said he did not believe the Wuhan wet market is where COVID-19 began. And this comes as several members of the media take a closer look at the evidence for the lab leak hypothesis. The establishment narrative is now acceptable. Here to discuss as Newsweek deputy opinion editor and author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy, Batya Angar Sargon. Batya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So where so this is kind of interesting to see Fauci sort of say, well, you know, later in that interview, Fauci went on to say, if you criticize me, you're criticizing the science, right? Science itself, because I represent science. And it's just so funny because Fauci, what he actually represents is an extremely arrogant and highly politicized elite that has been couching its own interests as absolute truth, as science, in order to avoid scrutiny and debate, which is exactly what Fauci did in this interview. You know, and it really just goes to show you how there's so much on the right now that is sort of opposed to whatever comes out of Fauci's mouth. And we look at them with all of this disdain, but whose fault is that, right? Like whose fault is it when people start to be suspicious of the science when the person who is supposed to represent it is so deeply politicized in this way. And and Dr. Fauci actually responded to that criticism in, in this same interview. Let's take a listen. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. And so we determine, as now Fauci has said, he represents science, that science is what political leaders say it is. And that's what this has turned into. So this disinformation campaign, which I assume now that this video will not be posted because of things we both have said, will now be, again, dictated and determined by who? By the people who are controlling the narrative of what can be put out there or not put out there. You know, I, I think, Lipson, you also, I'm, I'm just quoting you now, previous episodes, uh, you brought up, um, you know, just questions about um, science under capitalism, right? Like, it's not for freedom, it's, you know, technology, we brought questions on that too. Um, and I think a lot of times, at least some people I talk to have a, um, because I believe that we live in a corporate dictatorship. You know, that's, that's what I, in the U.S. is it's not a dictatorship in the way it's portrayed, you know, in this like um, stereotype of a dictator, right? Um, but uh, there is dictations that we've been subjected to over the last two years, clear dictations. This is not a democratic process by any means. You know, like just, just to jump off what you were saying, Eduardo, that the authorities decide what goes, you know, and they we're not asked about it. Um, and they, and they, and then, you know, my partner I was talking to the other day and she asked me a question about how is it that, you know, like certain scientists don't question this openly, you know, and that's when the magic of censorship, not done necessarily in a way they do in Nicaragua, for example, but done in a way where uh, you don't get funding. You know, we talked to Eric Lerner about it, right? If you, if you don't, you don't, once, uh, you know, there is a path that was carved and chosen, you don't get funding if you deviate from that path, if you go too far, if you're straight from it, you know, your, your, your career is also threatened. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a troublemaker, you know, they try to kick you out like they did to Lipson. 
Uh, and then also, you know, when it comes to the media, um, I've given a lot of like interviews to um, to like channels, news, you know, local news, national news, actually, uh, just randomly. And I went to Obama's inauguration, and I, I at the time I was very liberal, but even then I had more, I had something to say. What and I said a lot. And I was with a friend at the time who was actually doing an internship at Congress. So we were interviewing national Spanish TV. And what they showed was uh, the whole conversation was just like, we're excited to be here. You know, so they do doctor, you know, information. They do doctor the way, you know, uh, the narrative, you know, it, it, it is doctor. It is, you know, there is deliberate choice, you know, editorial choice to, to, to push some lies versus, you know, critique and, 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 and so we are, you know, we are. It's just that we lack the imagination to think that we are not in a dictatorship that get where censorship is the rule of the day. You know, the, there is no truth once, you know, like just like the military experts, right, that they, they call to, to give information to the, the people on national news when we go to war. You know, they're chosen for a reason, you know, to, to deliver a message. You know, they're not there to critique and, and actually, you know, debunk the, 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 the myths that are created to, 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 make, to create fear on us. And like, so we accept things. So we are constantly bombarded. We are in a war here. You know, we are uh, under psychological war, not just now through COVID from before. It's just that they're employing, uh, you know, all these tactics more constantly. And, and that's the scary part of how easy they've gotten away with this shit, you know, over the last two years. You know, with such little resistance, really. And, and now all they have to do to push something new is a new variant, right? A new, just cite the boogeyman or they give it a new name, a new coat of paint. You know, and people like my mother who today told me, actually, this is just another, this is just a flu. She, she gets pushed to the side. She gets, you know, called a conspiracy theorist, uh, an ignorant brute. You know, people that say these things. You know, because we leave it to the experts uh, um, that are chosen for a reason to have the louder voices. Um, and so, yeah, when I see an expert on TV, quote unquote expert, I know I'm like, this person was chosen for a reason. Yeah. And just to say something about the science consensus, because I'm I'm pretty disgusted with in general with what I see from the scientific community. But I will say this. Um, here, like, I think we all, I believed that there was a scientific consensus that the, the thing called the HIV virus uh, or was responsible for the symptoms called AIDS. In the same way that we talk about SARS-CoV-2 produces the, the symptoms that we associate with COVID, right? That is, a, I believed, there. Were, like, I didn't think that was up for debate. But there are, and there have been scientists who who have said, no, we didn't, we didn't think the evidence is not there for that. And not small scientists, not just Lynn Margolis, but there was a prominent scientist from UC Berkeley. And there was a guy who was close to winning the Nobel Prize in epidemiology who was like, no, I don't see it this way. And Anthony Fauci, who is not a prominent scientist, he's a charlatan and he's a power mad like dictator, destroyed that guy's career when he went down that road. He destroyed that dude's career. Anthony Fauci couldn't get near a Nobel Prize or near anything like that. But he basically made sure that guy couldn't get any funding and he's connected. That's, that's how people like Fauci work. And that's how the system works. And Fauci is not the problem. The system is the problem. 
But it is true that if you're a scientist and you want to survive in the ecology of capitalism, then you better say the things that the people with the money want to hear. And if they if they want you to say that COVID is dangerous, then you better fucking say that. Because if you try to put something out there that's not, well, you, we've seen what happens with John, this guy, John Unitas, who's been m- more and more marginalized. That's what's happening with these scientists. So there are scientists who are courageous enough to say something, but they are, me- they are immediately marginalized, immediately silenced, and, and they're gone. And so we think that there's no one doing anything. So I want to at least acknowledge that there are people who've tried to take a stand, but they are pushed to the margins immediately. Um, and so, and, and the, and the other people learn a lesson, like they say, if I want to make it here, I better not do that. And so that's, that has produced our science community, which is what they basically say, what do capitalists, what do you need us to say to make sure we get some money? And that's, that's essentially how the system works. And what can I say to promote myself in your, in your little, uh, you know, while you're marinating at this whole thing with money? So that I can get, I can get a lion's share of that. What do you need me to do? And that's the game here. That's what science is today. And, and that happens in many, not just science, you know, in like nonprofits who, you know, same thing, you know, you have to align with the, where the money's at, you know, in order to advance in not just, you know, advice into subject to the parameters that they, dis, that, that is designed by the system. Right. You know, and, and so you can't deviate. And so you get, the perpetuation of the same madness. It happens in academia all the time. You know, it happens in the organizing circles here in, in the city. You know, the, the people that, that advance are the people that preach the liberal gospel. You know, the, the gospel that cannot be challenged. You know, like that, you know, we have, you know, cite the, the, the you gotta say the right words. You know, like I bet you we're gonna, ha- we're gonna start hearing about the spillover effect you know, <laughs> of the old vaccines. You know, and while we get to the new vaccines, um, yeah. it, you know, and like these catchwords get reproduced all the time. You know, white supremacy is one of them, for example, <laughs> you know, at least in my organizing circles. It's just, and they catch us, you know, and, and I think that's why it's so, so magical why this name, as it sounds ridiculous, obviously it's a, a Greek alphabet word, right? Uh, alpha letter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But still, like, it sounds like a super villain, you know, Omicron. Yeah. I think I can find something that shows there's a bit of an explanation for why it's Omicron. Let me see if I can find the article. So here's, you know, that there's the alpha, the beta, there's been uh, gamma and delta. Apparently there's an epsilon and cap, kappa and iota. There's been theta. Well, the last one they had was mu here. Okay. So what did they do? They skipped new because they didn't want to say new variant because they felt like that would be confusing. And look what the name of the next one is. XI variant. She. Now, why would they not use that? Because that like she variant just, I mean, it's almost like it's almost like the the Asian flu or kind of so they didn't want to use that. So they skipped over to Omicron. I mean, that's the that's the statement. That's what they say. They skipped these two, new and she, and went straight to Omicron. Because apparently the next variant was gonna be pi. But I think we're going to be hearing about Omicron for quite some time. Uh, one, because its, its name is very ominous, and I think it works better. Um, and two, because it looks like they've set upon, like, it really does feel like they're going to use the Omicron variant as the basis for getting people to understand why, like, 
we're supposed to have a very bad quote flu season or a sickness season this winter. Well, guess what? They just have created their excuse for why this is happening. And when their vaccines don't really help people, they've now created the perfect excuse for it to say, oh, these vaccines are, are waning immunity. Now we're going to get you boosted up in about 100 days with this next, with the next round produced directly to say so-called to the Omicron variant. Um, I, I was forced to get vaccinated in order to go see a family member in Canada, right? And now this puts me into a pause. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, like, am I going to be able to cross the Canada? Did I do sh this shit and I'm not going to be able to use it? Because also Dr. Fauci today said in that same Omicron uh, press conference, he said that if you get uh, the, the, the Pfizer, you have six months of basically validity. That's how I see it. And then if I get the J&J, &J, which I got, you know, because of its low efficacy, um, you know, because I don't want it to work, uh, then I have two months. So, you know, like, and then I had to get a booster, right? So in two months, once they regulate this shit more, like who's more valid, then again, again, I got this shit. I went through all this fucking emotional shit just for two fucking months of validity in, in their system. You know, and but now they're closing the borders. So, uh, you know, like I want to see my cousin. Yeah. No, I don't have anything else to add. I didn't think this episode was going to be the way it turned out. <laughs> we always surprise. I I actually had gotten like uh, this is not going to be in the episode, but I had like done this whole thing. Let me just show you my screen. I had gotten these guys right here. See, I had. You, you know, you saw my retrovirus. I had gotten like stuff about mutations, the Omicron variant compared to the Delta to explain what that is, why this is, this thing is very confusing to me because this is clearly a computationally generated thing. Whereas this has an Omicron variant makes more sense because there's actually point mutations. Um, but I want you to keep this. Well, okay. I'm just saying like, and just to say what we're looking at is and if you want to use their line again i don't really want to go down this road because you cannot understand what's happening by understanding these mutations that are being made but what they're trying to get at is the idea that uh different different spike proteins with these alpha variant beta variant have different mutations and in the rbd this is called the receptor binding domain which is right up here so and they're saying that this causes a ch they're presuming they don't say they know it. They're presuming that these mutations, a, a lysine to an, uh, I think this is an asparagine, asparagine, I think. Um, I can't remember what that, but this would be a glutamic acid to a lysine, which is a big change. Um, uh, that change means that it binds differently to the ACE receptor, right? And so when, when it's this area where the mutations are at, that they're making these presumptions that these spike proteins both will behave differently and that these spike proteins might be not recognized by existing antibodies. So that if you have an antibody that's produced to the alpha variant, all right, and then suddenly you make this big change to it where you mutate all these amino acids up here, then will those antibodies still recognize this version? And that's some of the stuff. And this is where you get what's called an antigenic variant, where it has different binding properties versus just a variant. Because you can make a variant and it can bind just the same and it's nothing. It's, no, it's essentially no change. It's like a tree falling in the forest doesn't make a sound. Um, and 
and with, with no one there, it doesn't make a sound. So if, if you make a mutation, but it doesn't actually physically change the protein any, in any way, then we would call that a silent mutation. Um, and so a lot, most mutations are silent. They don't really have a big effect, but occasionally they do. And that's when a variant becomes a strain. So I don't know. I don't like doing the science stuff because I think it change, It gets people should understand more about digital IDs. I, I do. I, I sometimes find that, you know, I agree with you that it deviates from, you know, the main point and, you know, we get, a uh, we get, a uh, caught in the particulars that really are irrelevant for the big picture. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, I can see why some people might want to engage, but that's like losing battle really. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Eduardo, is there anything here that you think is worth really looking at? I mean, does it help to see these things? I think for our listeners that are listening on the audio version of all of this, I think they would, I think they would find some of this if they're interested and want to nerd out a bit. They should look at this. And can you just include some of these links, please? Yeah. yeah. And people can do their own research since we didn't really dive into it. I think we dived into uh, what we think of all this and what's really happening here. Then what uh, I was prepared to actually ask you questions about. Uh, what these variants mean and maybe give some scientific science does, background, but it's getting does, late. But does, does what I've said so far give you enough hint as to what they mean with these different variants? Mm -hmm. I mean, just general, generally, okay. in general. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 it's mutations made in the DNA that then produce different amino acids from that. Mm. And that's, and that's what we're talking about. And, when I have a question, this is I do. Is when scientists right now are saying that people who have natural immunity, uh, the vaccines are targeting. And in case YouTube is going to freak out over this, I should probably sort, sort um, I'll include the BBC article about um, this. Um, scientists are saying that the vaccine targets the spike protein, but uh, natural immunity uh, has targeted the entire it has more Correct. of a understands the entire 28 other proteins that are not being targeted by the vaccine Correct. Correct. Right. can you say something about that quickly as i find the bbc article well just to say that the antibody response that's being promoted when you get the vaccine is based on the fact that either the mrna or this double-stranded dna goes inside of you in your cells and your cells produce a spike protein which is one a single protein from the virus where the virus itself has many proteins on its outside and then some proteins on its inside right so the antibody response that is supposedly promoting is only to that to that single strain or single version of the spike protein uh, and that's what's happening with that's the antibody response you're getting from the vaccine but if you actually get infected you're getting infected by a viral particle, even though they, they haven't identified that viral particle and haven't isolated the viral particle. And that viral particle has a spike protein on it, but it has a whole host of other proteins on it that also your, your body is responding to and you're producing an antibody response to. So if you produce, if, if you have, that's a much more robust and much more uh, responsive um, antibody response because now you have antibodies that recognize whole sections of this capsid or this outside particle as opposed to just one little piece of it and that's a lot more effective it, it turns out and it the other part of it is the fact that 
there's like a T cell response that you get in, in your natural immunity that we don't like, that's really not necessarily activated with the vaccine that produces an, another way that the, um, that the virus can then be killed when it's recognized uh, as a result of natural immunity versus uh, vaccinated vaccine immunity, which doesn't activate the, a, a particular T cell response. Right, and if I just may, can I share my screen? Yeah. Uh, because I, I think that YouTube's going to freak out over what we're saying, but again, this is something that in the mainstream news, this is BBC approved. Uh, there is an article here, COVID, what is the best way to top up our immunity? And this, this title was changed because uh, it was going to give the impression that we should get natural immunity. So I forget what the title was before, but this was uh, published just recently in this year, and this is the 21st of August. And it says here there are marked differences, but here, uh, let's see where it was. I saw it, the anatomy of immunity. Sorry, here it is. How much of the QK? You can get exceritis, so the breath. And it says here, can you all see it? Okay, here, how much of the virus, uh, the immune system learns to attack? You get a broader immune response after being infected with the virus than vaccination. This is the BBC, everyone. Whether you've had the Moderna or Pfizer or Oxford AstraZeneca, your body is learning to spot just one thing, the spike protein. This is the critical part of the virus to make antibodies to and the results by keeping most out of the hospital have, have been spectacular. Okay, they have to include that because of course they cannot be talking about uh, right, it can't be criticizing their vaccines, but having the other 28 proteins to target too would give T cells far more to go at. That means if you had a real humdinger of the NF infection, you may have better immunity to any new variants. Hello, any new variants that pop up as you have immunity to more than just spike. This is BBC, YouTube approved, Facebook approved. I'm not saying that that's what we need, but I'm just saying this is what you know people are going to harp on, and then still. The BBC, because I'm I'm listening to the BBC podcast and then I go to the articles after I hear something I I, I want to delve into. Still, look what people COVID resistant people inspire new vaccine tactic. I mean, where do you get the inspiration from? From natural immunity folks, from me, people like me. I told my doctor at the clinic at the Haight Ashbury Clinic. I said you should use me as a study, and she said no, no, that's not what we're doing. I said no, you should. And understanding how some people may naturally resist COVID infection despite clearly being exposed to the virus could lead to better vaccines. This is what the researchers are saying. So um, I don't understand why even the CDC is not even investing any time, any money in trying to figure out this uh, natural immunity. They're just not paying attention to it. They are paying attention to it They're because they don't care about it because this is about digital ID. And again, I think that this Omicron narrative is already has this built in to attack the natural immunity case, because they are paying attention to this stuff, the arguments and, you know, the new arguments that are becoming stronger. So, because I read some hints of, you know, oh yeah, like, you know, natural immunity may not work with this, you know, situation. Um, and that's why earlier I brought up two things like alternative therapies to people that if they get, get infected to not think that this thing is a death sentence as it is sold to, to you know, to many people, because like, at least maybe you can clarify this and like my understanding that that's why ivermectin has proven to be uh, effective right in in uh, stopping replication right because it's not it doesn't do most it does more than the vaccine in my understanding yeah it's not only deals with the spike protein it also deals with receptors 
you know, it's so in, in, a, in a particular stage of the development of the disease, you know, it can be helpful, you know, and so it, and it also undermines the need of a vaccine, right? From, for a drug that's like, apparently through the WHO, you can get for like a penny, you know, versus these vaccines who I, I think I read South Africa was buying for like $30 a pop or some shit like that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, again, like, that's why I think like, first of all, like, they're overblowing this shit out of proportion. Second of all, if you do get it, there is treatments, you know, to prevent, you know, the disease the, the from affecting you, you know, and it is a wide array of things that we don't even know. Um, and second of all, you know, like, we need healthy societies, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, we need, and, and we cannot talk about this shit without talking the, about comorbidities, which come from this system that creates that shit. You know, and so, and also, uh, I saw this on Jimmy Dore where he was talking about the closure of hospitals, like in the, in the U.S. You know, uh, because they're not profitable uh, to people in ICUs and this stuff. And so, again, th- there is no um, real interest in our public health. You know, because there are other massive things that we need to have better public health. You know, this is a war on us and a war for our data uh, and. Right now, South Africa is not just about South Africa. It's also about us because they're going to attack, you know, the arguments about natural immunity, you know, because that's another thing that I find uh, that doesn't get um, a lot of talk is that uh, we don't know how much natural immunity we have, right? Like if you really want to look at the science or whatever, we don't know. We don't know how far this shit spread. A lot of people may have had it. You know, so there was no need for the vaccine. You know, for, for a lot of people, in 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 not not only that, but like, you know, these statistics that they release on the efficacy of the vaccines, it's already tainted. If you look, if you're looking from a scientific perspective, because we don't know that other variable, right? The natural immunity, how much of the success of natural immunity is given to the vaccines, you know? And so there is a bunch of shit. Like, so yes, the science is is almost irrelevant because. Like there is no due diligence, you know, in any of this process. They've deliberately mishandled this shit, you know, and it's not a failure of capitalism, you know, like the left is saying, it's a complete success of capitalism in selling us this narrative and falling again. That's why I appreciate Lipson, like, you know, fuck the science, you know, like the, the details on that, because that's not where the story is at, you know, because we get caught up on, on stuff and, you know, in, in, in that that's while they're successfully advancing the war on working people. Right. If, go ahead, Warren. I just wanted to add that, yes, it, I mean, it, you're right, Andy, about it's been monitored. I mean, scientists were closely monitored, um, monitoring hospital staff last year, right? During, and even the first wave, the yeah. pandemic and all of that. And, uh, and, and even despite being in a high risk environment, all of these uh, doctors and, and, and healthcare workers and when many of them who don't want to take the vaccine because they even had uh, natural immunity and poor them, they've now lost their jobs and keep um, um, wringing your pans out there because now we've not lost our workers now and um, uh, have, have survived it. And millions and millions and millions of people who had COVID have survived it. Um, so anyhow, we're being a broken I'm, I'm being a broken record here, but yes, you're right. And it's not, uh, it's not, it's not to their benefit. It is, I think the simplest way I could put it is you can't, this is a completely unsuccessful health operation, but a a giant success, it's a giant success in keeping us separated 
while the wealthy extract profits and putting us, getting us all on a digital dashboard. So in that regard, this program has been a massive success and, and has a lot of room for growth. Um, in terms of getting us healthier, I actually think it's going to hurt us health-wise. Um, you, can't, you can't understand what they're doing by you will continue to run into contradictions of why are they doing this? Why are they do It's reckless. It's crazy. It's not. It is not crazy. It completely makes sense if you understand that the goal is to keep us separated, build the digital metaverse for us, and get, get us all on a digital dashboard so that our lives can be either even more monitored, more controlled um, into, go, into a coming future where more wealth is going to be extracted from us and, and more of it's going to go to the top. I um and in in the midst of all of this, if I just share one other thing, this is becoming longer than it should be. Why are we doing this? So this is written by Lee Fang, who lives here in San Francisco, and who I'll share a picture that I've taken with him because I've seen him walking down Valencia, and I really love his work. But he is saying right here, Pfizer's lobbying to thwart whistleblowers from exposing corporate fraud. So. Uh, this is one of the biggest pharma companies now, right? And they're trying to block legislation uh, and to be able to report anything that's fraudulent. And I invite people, I, I don't want to go through it now. I invite people to really read through this because it was something that I had come across when I was uh, researching for today. And uh, and it does talk about, you know, their, 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 their way in trying to make sure that nothing gets leaked nothing and even they would not face retribution because we are in a pandemic of course yeah. we are not to and you're supposed to have emergency powers and all of this stuff right but uh pfizer has been known for this i mean i i was telling um well i read a book the constant gardener which became a film and it was about uh an activist uh, um whose partner was um uh um a diplomat the book the book is fictional but but the story the the book was based on true events of Pfizer testing its uh, pharmaceuticals on poor people mm. in Africa. And this is Pfizer. And that's what the book was based on. And then they made it into this film, which I'll just share here as a clip. There's a TB epidemic coming. It will affect the entire world. Billions and billions of dollars are waiting to be earned. Big pharmaceuticals are right up there with the arms dealers. Chaos, cover-ups, unmarked graves. People that kill anybody. Poor man seems to have convinced himself there was a conspiracy in which we are all complicit. There's a contract out on it. You'll never know who ordered the hit. But that's the way it works with corporate. This is not new by Pfizer, right? I mean, I think even uh, we've had John Kleisick report on some of the stuff that Modern and Pfizer has done. Very sketchy stuff. Anyhow, I'll also just um, there are whistleblowers coming forward from Pfizer and people should look into that. There are, um, they slammed the vaccine trials. They're, they're concerned about it and no one's talking about it. And that was just what I think this month. On September the 25th, 2020, which was the following morning, Jackson says she called the FDA and warned the agency about unsound practices in Pfizer's clinical trial at Ventavia and also articulated concerns in an email complaint. Ventavia fired her that afternoon. Ooh. So, uh, I so I, I agree that basically all the sentiment that we've been sharing. I guess the last thing I'll say is like about uh, this imperial racist shit, you know, because again, like my brother talking about this brought out this point, and like I, I don't think he's far fetched, you know, and like oh India, you know the dirty Indians, you know, uh, 
new variant, right? Not, not like we haven't had variants here. Uh, now South Africa, 30 variant, you know, and he's wondering if uh, Latin America is the next one, you know, um, because like, I mean, there is being variants, but not of concern of that degree, you know, and, and so they always come from, you know, the dirty global South for some reason. I just find it, you know, interesting. And like, as we've talked, you know, imperialism is violent, imperialism is racist. And so. And um, just to show you this, um, which backs up what Kenny is saying, which is from our world in data, the COVID cases, both in South Africa and, and around the world, um, which backs up uh, what Kenny is saying about the racism of, of the narrative. Um, so this is what they're saying about the COVID cases recently in South Africa. There's been this decline taking place in October. And then they talk about what they say here, look over here on the right, is exponential growth in South Africa. And this is the Omicron variant that they're saying is responsible for this exponential growth. But look at the numbers on these cases. We're talking about 20 cases in October. And now in, in this exponential growth phase, we're talking about going from five cases in a million people to 15 cases in a million people. So that's their exponential growth. But here's the other thing they don't really talk about when they compare this exponential growth and they talk about the this uh, Omicron variant, which is rampaging through South Africa. Let's look at the actual data around the world. Um, here is Ireland with uh, about 900 cases per million. Uh, here's United Kingdom with about 600. Here's United States with about 300 per million. And way down here, way down here, Bit, just skirting the bottom is South Africa. So this is your rampaging Omicron variant right here. Uh, and this is what they're talking about, this variant of concern. So the characterization is, is racist. The characterization is false. Um, and it's literally cooked up data and cooked up graphs made to scare you into uh, taking boosters. So there's a lot to look into. And if anyone, if we've shared a lot of information here, and if anyone is nuts, skeptical still i don't know what will what will persuade you <laughs> we have a <laughs> we've been trying to share as much information from uh from uh, sources from youtube approved and from you know we have a scientist in residency here and what can we do to persuade you and maybe youtube will still take this down <laughs> anyway. this would be a good one to i mean i don't i think we're going to be critical of the amma Quran narrative. So this might be one that gets clipped, but we'll have other ways to get it out. All right. Well, I just want to, I've been reading this book and so I just want to share and promote it out there because I really loved it. And people know that I'm a permaculturist. I've been shared it before. I've grown my own food. And this book is called um, Braiding Sweetgrass, Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teachings of Plants. You, you've heard, you've, you've seen it. You've... I've been reading it for the last six months. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's really good. Beautiful. It's I agree with you. It, it's yeah. A collection to... of essays. So I really it. I decided to read it for um. Uh, there's two things I did. I I um. I decided to for this past week. I decided to uh, uh, see the film with uh, someone of uh, uh, um the concert gardener, and it was a book that I had read a long time ago. It's really good. It's really like thriller, but it's based on true events. And anyhow, and I read this book, and uh, it's. It's a nonfiction book. It's a collection of essays uh, written by, not that it matters, but because she's learned, she has a PhD in scientific knowledge of botany. It's all in the world of botany, but she also is Native American. So her, her lens through this is using the Western 
way of seeing it, but also the indigenous way of seeing it. And she uses her own experiences about plants and her family and is part of the member. She's a member of the citizen Potawatomi, I'm sorry, uh, Potawatomi nation. And uh, it just gives background into history and ecosystems and all of that. So I really do think people should read it. It was really good, a fun read. And that was my November book for my book club, which I'm a part of the Central School Public Library. So um, anyhow, that was something I'd like to share with you. And I think that book is also about unlearning institutionalized knowledge. Something that we um, could go back to if we just became knowledge. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Uh, What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the missing left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes where you found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. Uh, Thank you, Andy, for responding to everything. Uh, Just a faithful, faithful co-host here and a faithful responder. and I promise, and Kenny promises as well, I'm speaking for him, we're going to respond to more people, especially uh, people who have been very connected and loving uh, last Thank episode, which was great. I remind uh, folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications uh, to any of our eight platforms on on podcasts, uh, Sp- uh, Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, our channels on BitChute, Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, O-D-Y-S-E-E uh, YouTube, or you can connect with us on Telegram. Again, you can find our blog and any of those links in the episode notes where we found this episode. If you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. Uh, I'm Eduardo Barco with co-host Kenny Cepeda and Andy Lipson. Uh, you can find our social media handles and the episode notes at Don Eduardo Barca and at ZDKE. Thank you for listening. Ciao.